How are we doing? Good. Everybody's awake, and I see lots of smiling faces. My name is Sam Spence, and I serve on the teaching team here at New Hope. And I want to personally welcome you to New Hope. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We are glad you are here, and a special welcome if you're joining us online. So this morning, we're finishing up our study on Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be in chapter 12 today. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible on your phone, go ahead and turn there and get ready um, before we jump in. Um, So before we start our time this morning, um, Pastor Appreciation Sunday is fast approaching. So on October 9th, uh, our church, we're going to set out a table uh, in the lobby, and we're going to have a place for you to give cards, give gifts, uh, a small appreciation to our pastors' families, um, uh, Tim and Nikki and Jim and Jenny. So this is your two-week warning, okay? Please partner together with us to bless our pastors, because this is not a a one-day-a-week job. Okay, that's a, that's a joke if you're in a, a pastor's family is you only work one day. These are some of the hardest working families I've seen. So please bless um, our pastors and our pastor's wives and their families. So be on the lookout for those tables in the lobby here in the next few weeks. So before we jump in today, um, let's review where we've been in the past. Okay, so let's have a go at our memory verse. Do you think anybody can do it without looking? Okay, you guys are so humble this morning. So, so let's read this. This is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Let's read this together, one voice. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Awesome. Okay, good job. Keep practicing. That's, that's our memory verse for Ecclesiastes. So to briefly review again, we've heard the term everything is meaningless a lot, haven't we? Yes, we've got that stuck in our brains, so we don't need to necessarily go there. But I want to look at a slide from last week, and this is in your sermon notes. It's this. If you only pursue things under the sun, you will get sunburned. Did you guys hear last week's message? That was one of my favorite messages this year. It, it touched me personally. But what this is saying, if you're only filled with earthly things or you're only pursuing earthly things, you're going to be burned. Okay, And you see that in Ecclesiastes 2.11. It says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So that's the tension we've been in throughout Ecclesiastes. It, it is meaningless. And we see the author, the wealthiest man that has ever lived, who had power, fame, anything he wanted, He said, you're not going to be content. You're going to get sunburned. There is more to living on this earth than just things. So that's where we were last week. And I think this is an important tension to wrestle with, to remember where we've been, because we're going to apply what we learned all these previous weeks to one conclusion here today. So how many of you guys remember Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the TV show? Can I see some hands? Okay. Young people, do you know what? Who wants to be a man? Okay, maybe not. Okay, so the name Regis Philbin? Yeah, okay. I'm 31. I'm old, I guess. So do you guys remember Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And those of you that don't know, I'll explain it to you. So it's a game show in front of a live audience, and people would be selected to come sit on stage for the chance to answer questions to win a million dollars. Sounds awesome, right? And you get a phone a friend. What else did you get? You got to ask the audience. What was the last one? Lifeline, thank you. I took a lifeline right there. <laughs> so you got three chances for to have people help you. 
And Regis always said one thing. Okay, there'd be the question, and it would be a weird question. Like, how many legs does a centipede have? That's an easy one. But Regis would always say one thing after the contestant answered. Do you remember what it was? Final answer. And they would say yes or no, and then what would happen? The lights would go down. And then the lights shoot up. Right? And the contestant would either win or they would lose based on a yes or no question. Is that your final answer? He would always ask. And so in preparing for chapter 12, this is what Ecclesiastes has been building to. And if you've read ahead, you know the text we're going to be in today. So chapter 12 is talking about that tension. We are growing closer to that moment when we're going to give a final answer before God. This is a moment we're going to stand there. We're going to be asked what did you do with what I gave you? Did you accept Jesus? Did you accept my gift of salvation? We are rapidly approaching the time when we're to give a final answer. And like I said, if you've been reading ahead, chapter 12 talks about that. We're going to read about, grow, being, about growing old and death. So who's ready for a fun morning? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so to set... So have some humor this morning before we jump in. Um, I know for myself, I, I didn't think about getting old until I start to feel old, okay? And I know, just speaking personally, 30 really snuck up on me. You know, I was in high school, and then college happened, and then I woke up, and I'm 30, right? Anybody else kind of have that? Time flies. And what a rude awakening it is when you've discovered that you're growing old, Right? And I had one of these rude awakenings about a month ago, okay? And it's a funny story. It's one of those moments where you're reminded, I'm getting too old for this, right? Um, I'm not as young as I used to be. And I remember this rude awakening, it was a Monday night, and I was subbing for a senior golf league, okay? Automatically, sounds like a great time, right? <laughs> 31-year-old subbing for a 55 and older golf league? Sign me up, you know? <laughs> It's like, like the PGA Tour, right? So I'm a semi-regular on this, this club uh, or this, this league, um, and I sub for various people as they go to Florida and, and come back and stuff. And it's awesome because they let me play from the golds. You know, I really do feel like a superstar. And one guy, he's 104. It, it's amazing, seriously. And he, he beats me all the time. So I'm in a foursome, okay? And with some of my older friends I play with all the time, and everybody in this group... This night is 65 plus, okay? So everybody's double my age, easy. Uh, so we, our first hole, we're starting on hole one at Round Lake Golf Course. And if you've played Round Lake, hole one's a par five dog leg right. So perfect for my swing, right? Line it up, tee it up, let her rip, okay? Um, so another reason I love playing with the old guys is they make me feel like a superstar. They're like, come here, look how far he can hit this ball. Back in my day, I could drive 240 just like that. So tonight was no, no different. You know, everybody was kind of gathering around to see what was going to happen because everybody wanted to watch Sam smash the ball into a house or into the woods or somewhere. <laughs> so everybody's gathered around, you know, I'm feeling good, waving like the PGA Tour. Hey, guys, yeah. And they're talking like, oh, Sam's so cool. No, they probably weren't. But so I get all teed up. I get my driver out. I get stretched, you know, get my tempo. I'm getting all set for the show, right? So, tempo, hips, smack the ball. 
And a little backstory, if you've ever played golf with me, I always grunt a little bit because it's scientifically proven if you grunt, the ball goes further. In any situation, if you grunt, well, not any situation, but you get a little extra effort, right? So I smack this ball, I grunt, but this grunt was different than other grunts. Some of you are saying, oh, no. Why am I sharing this? It's too late. We'll keep going. So I grunted out both ends, right? You guys get what I'm saying? I grunted out an end I wasn't planning on using for a while. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Do I need to keep going? I passed some warm air. Okay. So I stood there, you know, I just smashed this ball. And whenever all those guys are watching it, and I feel that warm air, and I was like, oh my gosh, I just farted. <laughs> and it wasn't quiet. So we stood there, we watched that ball, holding the club on my shoulder, still looking like a pro, you know. But I start to look around and see, did anybody just notice that? Did I get away with that? Is somebody going to smell it? Right? They're still watching it fly. I mean, it, it felt like hours watching this golf ball. And then somebody turns to me and goes, nice drive. And I was like, all right, we're in the clear. Right? Nobody laughed. Nobody said anything. But in that moment, walking back to the golf cart, it hit me. What the heck was that all about? Is this what I have to look forward to when I get older? We leak. We stink. It takes us a moment to get moving when we get older. And the pain ain't perfect. Like a classic car, right? And looking back, nobody probably laughed because they were all doing it too, you know? So... We're going to get old. I know some of you in this, this room are double my age, and I'm not belittling age. We're just trying to have some fun. And tell me afterwards, you know, just wait till this happens. All right? I welcome that. This is what we're talking about this morning. So let's jump in. Who's excited, right? Okay, we laughed a little, now we can cry. So this is Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 4. Uh, we're going to break down some of the metaphors being talked about here. So it says, remember the creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come in the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Verse two, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. Okay, it's talking about the failing of the mental process. You know, you're like, nice, right? We're, we're talking in metaphors here. This is what um, scholar, scholars say. And then it goes on to say, when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men stoop when the grinders cease because they are few. That's talking about teeth, right? Your teeth are going to fall out when you get old. Um, and those looking through the windows grow dim. Your eyesight's going to fade. Okay, who's depressed yet? Yeah, all right, we'll keep going. I see some no's actually, which is fantastic. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, okay, uh, teeth falling out, again. When people rise up at the sound of birds, okay, the loss of melatonin, okay, the littlest sounds are going to wake you up and all their sounds grow faint, you lose your hearing, okay? This all happens when we age. When people are afraid of heights, dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms, does anybody know that metaphor? Gray hair? Yep, almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and the desire no longer is stirred. Then the people go to their eternal home and mourners to the streets. Wow, right? That doesn't sound like the golden years, huh? Woo! What a bummer, right? It's a little dramatic for me, but it's painting a picture. 
And, and it reminds me of something my grandpa always said. He said, growing old ain't for sissies. Yep, I see some head nodding. Yep, growing old ain't for sissies. Because you think high school's hard? Wait till college. You think college is hard? Wait till you get married. Marriage is wonderful. Chelsea, if you're in this room, I love you. Um, <laughs> wait till this. Wait till this. Solomon is saying the difficult days are ahead. And I found some of these quotes online about growing older, okay? Um, and we'll share these because we need to laugh again after reading that. So, you know you're getting old when you get winded playing chess. <laughs> yep. You know you're getting old when your knees buckle and your belt won't. <laughs> you know you're getting old when you're 17 around the neck, 42 around the waist, and 126 on the golf course for nine holes. Growing old is a part of life. Here, here's one of my favorite ones. When you get older, your back starts to go out more than you do. <laughs> Not a good one. Nice. Yeah, nice. <laughs> and another one, one more, one more for the road. You know you're getting old when the candles cost more than the birthday cake. <laughs> That's another good one. So there's tension. We're going to grow old, we're going to age, and then guess what we're going to talk about next? We're talking about dying, okay? So let's pick it up. Uh, we just read verse 5. Let's read uh, through verse 8. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken. Okay, there's some imagery there. Um, we'll, it, it's talking about dying, right? Some people say that the silver cord's the spinal column. We'll spare everybody. If you're very interested in what this means, please, please look it up. It's talking about dying. Before the, the pitcher is shattered... Uh, at the spring, and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground, and it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, 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 says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. So here's our progression so far, okay, to recap before we move on. Number one, you're going to get old, okay? It's going to happen. No one here on earth is immune from growing old, okay? And point two, Unless Jesus comes back, we're, we're all going to die at some point. If, unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime. We read that. We're going to grow old, and we're going to die. But we're going to transition, and we're going to spend the rest of our morning here, uh, about the last 30 minutes. In the meantime, while we are young, while we are aging, while we are old, what are we going to do? Are we going to live for God's glory? Or are we going to live for our own glory? So that's going to be the tension. Are you living for God's glory? So if you're taking notes, you have your worship program. I have a fill-in for you, okay? And when I study Scripture, I personally see three areas that everybody needs to, to be living in to live for God's glory. And the first one is this. We need to be planted in God. Write that down. We need to be planted in God. We'll explain what this means. Remember last week we talked about getting sunburned. Pastor Tim was talking about living under the sun, okay? I want to challenge us this morning. We're going to do a play on words, okay? We need to be planted under the sun, the S-O-N, that sun being Jesus, okay? Not the S-U-N, which is the things of this earth. You're going to hear us talk, say this a lot this morning. Be planted under God. Don't be planted in things of this world. How many of you guys have ever had a house plant? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. We got some houseplant people, right? Okay, let's see those hands again. Keep your hands up, houseplant people. Okay, how many houseplant people can keep them alive for more than a month? Okay, about, oh, wow. I think me and two other people put our hands down. Houseplants are hard for some reason. That's a whole other sermon. Um, so that's good. I thought we'd have more plant murderers in here, but we don't. Um, so let me just say, me and Chelsea should never own a houseplant. I mean, you've been to our house. We have one houseplant, and it's hanging in there, right? The poor thing. Um, I remember a few years ago, we went to a wedding, and the wedding gift was little succulents, right? And they set them on each table. It was so cute. And I sat at one, and it was a cactus, and it was very prickly, so I named him Mr. Prickles, right? Well, what do, you, what do you name a cactus? You know, he was a little sassy cactus. And so we took him home. We put him in the window. I was so excited. I was a plant dad. You know, was, I almost got a shirt and everything. So I put him in the window. I watered him. And things were going awesome. You know, it was like love at first sight for about a week. Um, and then he died, right? I don't know what I did. I think I watered it too much because I watered it every day. I see, okay. Yeah, you guys must be the planters over here. I was like, yep. So, my plant, Mr. Prickles, he ended up dying. But why did my cactus die? He didn't have what he needed to survive. I would argue he was planted in the wrong place. Because a plant should never be planted in my house if it wants to survive. Right? If a plant wants to grow, it sounds like it needs to be at Paula's house, right? She's very humble, but yes. <laughs> so the same is true here with this tension. Where are we going to plant ourselves? Are we going to be planted in the things of this earth under the S-U-N, or are we going to plant, plant ourselves under the S-O-N? Are you planting yourself in an area that will allow you to grow, or are you planting yourself in an environment where you will just survive? So here's, here's some more challenge for us this morning if you're taking notes. Okay, here, here's what we, what we see. We need to be planted in the Bible. Do you see a need to study God's Word? Are you getting what you need to grow? Do you know about God? Do you know His commandments? Okay, you need to be planted in the Bible. You also need to be planted in the community. Are you involved in a small group? Are you involved in the men's group, the women's group, uh, a growth class, the youth group, a, a small group, equip? Are you involved in a good community? Because if you're not planted in the right area, if you're not planted in the right soil, as soon as a storm comes, it can rip your roots right out of the ground. And guys, I don't have any pictures or anything, but did you know in like forests, trees' roots actually grow together? So the wind may be going crazy and the trees are like, whoa, you know, flailing in the wind, but they're not going anywhere because their roots are connected. That's what happens when we plant ourselves in community. We surround ourselves with other believers. We intertwine our lives so when those storms come, we survive those storms. Where are you planting yourself? Here's some more tension. If, you, if you're a parent or you have kids, or you're leading people, I would warn you, you better watch where you plant yourself. Because you have people watching you. If you're a parent, your kids are naturally gonna plant themselves in the soil right next to where you are. That's what they see. They're gonna say, hi mom, and they're gonna sit down right next to you. So are your kids seeing you read the Bible? 
Do your kids see your relationship with God? Do your kids see you tithe as a discipline? Do you explain that to them? Do your kids see you invest in people? Do your kids see you invest in the church? Because your kids are going to plant themselves close to you. So that's, that's another warning. So next, if you're taking notes, okay, the final one here, we need to be planted in the church, okay? That is what it is. You, you need to show up, right? You need to get involved. You need to serve. So, very good. So the second area, this is Sam's opinion, and these are in no particular order, okay, that you need to thrive uh, and, and live in God's glory is this. You need to find freedom. Okay, we'll, we'll explain what this is. Essentially, you need to, you need to get saved. And, and this is exactly what it sounds like. In order to thrive in life, you need Jesus. You need the gift of salvation. And, and let me say, like, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, I've seen people make it through life without this gift of salvation. I've seen people make it without Jesus. But let me tell you, when their time comes and they die, there's no eternal significance for them. What they lived on this earth is all they will ever experience. Their life is over. It is done. I've known people that have chose to plant themselves under the S-U-N, the things of this world, their possessions, their valuables, their money. And when their life is over, it's meaningless. It's, it's all the ever experience. And it is so sad because we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we are quickly approaching a time where, where we all will stand before God. The time is coming. We've heard it throughout Ecclesiastes. Everything is meaningless on this earth. The pursuit of money will never fulfill you. Fame, sex, popularity, a nice house, nice things, sports cars. It's all meaningless. The one thing that fulfills this desire in us is Jesus. We have a creator who wants to be with us so badly, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to make things right with us. A love that strong. So the perfect sacrifice was made, Jesus dying on that cross so we can be right with God. So things changed when that happened. The temple curtain tore from the top to the bottom when Jesus died. We now have direct access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, through Jesus, and he wants a relationship with, with each and every one of us. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you. He wants us to glorify him. So church, what are we going to do with this news of Jesus, right? I, we're kind of just going to move into a, a time, a, a moment here, okay? Normally we do this at the end, but we're, we're just going to do it now, okay? Because a final answer is coming. And you have a yes or no question, and it's not Regis Philbin asking you. It's God. Will you accept my gift of salvation? And church, let me say, there's more than a million dollars on the line. We're talking about a gift so much more valuable, a gift that has eternal significance. The greatest gift ever known to mankind can be ours 
And if you want to glorify God in this life, you need to accept this gift, okay? If you want to live for God's glory, you need this gift. You need to be saved. So let's talk about this. We see in Scripture, in order to be saved, in order to receive the Holy Spirit, we must verbally confess our sins. Asking Jesus into our life, asking from our heart, Jesus, I want you into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. I know you died on the cross. I believe in you. That's what it looks like. That's it. And disclaimer, we've got other Christians in the room. Does accepting this gift of salvation make life easier, church? No, it does not. We are still sinners in a sinful world, but now we have hope, we have a future, we have the Holy Spirit to begin attacking problems of this world. So if you're here today and you're like, okay, that sounds cool, but I don't know about it. I don't know if God is real. I I, I don't know if salvation is real. I don't know if this church movement is real. I have a dare for you, okay? And I'm going to come at you respectfully this morning. I love you. I want you to, to hear this. So if you're sitting there this morning and you have some sort of doubt about Jesus, about God, about salvation, about the Holy Spirit, I dare you, okay? I dare you to find a Christ follower here this morning that has received this gift of salvation. It doesn't have to be me, but ask them, what has God done for you? How has God transformed your life? Don't take my word for it. If you're still not convinced or, or you're not sure God is real, ask somebody. So who here this morning could share about the greatness of God in their life? Raise your hands. Okay, loud and proud. Keep them up, all right? Who could talk about the greatness of our Lord Jesus this morning? Who could talk about the transformation that has happened because of this gift of salvation? Look around. Keep those hands up. Don't take my word for it. Take our word for it. Look around. We are experiencing God in this church this morning. Amen? We are experiencing God in our community. You can put your hands down. Thank you. How can this be fake? Right? I'm sorry if I'm coming at you, but I I want you to hear this. How can this be fake? Look around at where God is moving. This is a church that has experienced God personally. A church that continues to experience God. And everybody with their hands up would love to talk to you this morning, right? About how God has blessed them, continues to bless them. So please, if that's you, start a conversation. And I'm sorry if this is blunt for you. But you are far too valuable to spend eternity separate from God. I'm telling you this because I love you. He wants eternity with you because there is freedom to be found and you are not thriving unless you have this, have found this freedom. You're not thriving unless you've walked into salvation. God has called us to thrive, to plant ourselves in community, to plant ourselves in the Bible, to plant ourselves under the S-O-N and ask him to enter our lives. So if you're here this morning and you want this gift, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, let's do it now. Okay? We're not, we're not going to wait any longer. Um, pray this prayer with us. Okay? And, and this, this is not a prayer from a special person or special words, things you have to do. It's a prayer from your heart. 
So let's go ahead and move into an attitude of prayer. We can bow our heads, and we're going to proclaim this out loud. If you want this gift of salvation, pray after, pray after me. Pray something similar in your own words this morning. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Just, just say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I fall short daily. God, I know that I cannot earn and I don't deserve this gift of salvation. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. Jesus, I invite you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me new. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, that's it. If it came from your heart, that is all you need for the gift of salvation. Welcome to the family. Please let us know you made that decision. Come find me. Come find somebody else in this room. Let them know so we can begin to do community together. We want you planted here at New Hope. We want you planted in a church. We'll say that. So you can grow and weather storms together. So there's a third thing uh, we, we have to do uh, to live for God's glory. And that is this. To live for God's glory. <laughs> right? It's, it sounds simple. Yep. Todd goes, yep. It's right here um, in verse 13. So let's read this together. Now all has been heard here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every, every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So boom, it's right here in verses 13 and 14. It's the conclusion of the matter. We see what? Fear God and keep his commandments right here. If you want to thrive in life, if you want to live for God's glory, you need to live for God's glory, okay? So, so what does this look like, this idea of glorifying and honoring God? Could we bring the lights up a little bit? I like to see everybody's faces. Plus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands again, right? Very interactive Sunday. You guys are going to get your cardio in. Where are my parents or, parents or guardians, okay, caretakers? Awesome. Fantastic. Y'all can put your hands down. Get your workout. We'll raise them again in a minute. So, what does it take for your child to glorify you? Just think about that. Don't answer. What does it take for your child to give you glory? Uh, obedience, right? Have your kid listen to you? What else? Just obedience? Okay. We'll work on this. Okay. So they listen, right? They don't rebel. They're respectful. They certainly don't disrespect you. They don't respect, disrespect other people. What about when you tell your kids to pick up their toys and they go and pick up their toys? Yeah, I would be excited, right? Or to go make your bed, right? That gives you glory as a parent. You didn't have to tell them a hundred times. You told them once and they did it. That's got to be a good feeling, right? It's a good feeling when you ask your child to do something and they do it. Amen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's something up here in the front row. Hmm. So, some countertension. How do we feel when you look at your child, you ask them to do something, they look you straight in the face, assume the position, and say, no. How does that make you feel? Do you feel glorified in that moment? No. 
Or, or maybe they're throwing their toys, and you say, hey, please stop staying your toys, and they go, no, and then run away. You don't feel glorified in that moment, do you? The mothers in this room are like, I birthed you into this world, and I'm going to take you out, right? <laughs> you do not cross mama. How dare you disrespect me? When your children disobey you, you don't feel honored. You don't feel glorified. You probably feel a little bit annoyed, right? How about when you walk into a room and you see a toddler running around with no clothes on and a marker in their hands? <laughs> Sounds a little stressful, right? So does this sound familiar to anybody? Okay, I saw one hand. Two hands. Yes! So you walk in, the toddler's there and his... his uh, what's it called? Diaper, marker in his hand, and there's marker all over the walls. And you say, did you do this? And they look at you and go, no. (laughs) Do you feel glorified in that moment as a parent? Because if it were me, I would be far less upset if if they would have owned up to it. The writing's on the wall, literally. (laughs) You're there, you got it all over you, and you're going to say no. And you denied it. Church, God, our Heavenly Father, is like that parent. This parent figure we're talking about. God wants to be glorified. God sure as heck wants to be respected, just like a parent that has children. God wants us to be obedient. He wants us to to own up to our mistakes. He wants us to ask for forgiveness, to admit our shortcomings, be honest, be loyal, be humble. Man, the list goes on. We see in Scripture what is commanded of us us as his children. And if you want to get started, just read Matthew. I'll just say read all of Matthew. Okay? If you want to know what God commands of you in your life, and I'll give you a few freebies this morning. Okay? Um, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, and the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, you see Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. Okay, Matthew 6, practice self-discipline. Do not judge, Matthew 7, honor marriage, be a servant, minister to the poor, steward your sexuality, and make it obedient to God. Render to Caesar, pay your taxes, people, (laughs) right? Repent from your sins, be baptized, confess your faith publicly, make disciples, forgive others, do not judge, go the second mile, love the socially unacceptable, love sinners, eat with sinners, honor your mother and father. That's all in Matthew. That's one book of the Bible. So the problem is when we don't know the Bible, church. I hope you see the importance of knowing your Bible. It tells us how we're supposed to live. It tells us how to glorify God. It is packed with stuff we're supposed to be doing. So living for God's glory, it starts with knowing the Bible, being planted in the Bible, being planted in community, being planted in church. You also need to be saved to begin to live for God's glory. So our first fill-in for how to live for God's glory is, is this. We need to keep his commandments. Okay, don't look at the last two yet. We're not there. Okay? Live for his commandments. And, and what this means is We just need to do what he's called us to do. Whatever little thing, whatever big thing. And church, let me tell you, the world would be like a better place if we practice this. If we kept his commandments, we'd be changing the world. So the second thing we need to do is we need to live with eternity in mind. 
When this life is over, you've heard it in weeks before, only two things are forever. Can somebody tell me what they are? God. Did somebody say death and taxes? I mean, I mean you're not wrong. <laughs> Sorry for laughing at you. God and people, okay? I think, Tim, you said that last week, didn't you? Somebody said it. I remember. Um, I'm laughing at death and taxes. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, it's true, too. But God and people, people's souls is what we're talking about. Think about it. God and people are the only things that have eternal significance on this earth right now. And this is what we're talking about, that everything is meaningless. Because if it's not God and it's not people, it's meaningless. God and people are the only things that matter in the end, and that raises the question, are you investing in God and people? Think about it. Are you invested in God? Are you invested in people? Or are you caught up in the pursuit of culture, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of fame, toys, four-wheelers, jewelry? list goes on. And church, let me say, it's, it's okay to have nice stuff, it's okay to enjoy things, but God and people are the only things that have eternal value. And you've heard everything is meaningless for so long, I want to bring some more clarity to this idea of everything is meaningless. Because here's a twist to think about. Okay, I was thinking about this as I prepared for this. Money, your toys, your truck, in the end, they're meaningless, right? We can all agree. Yes, okay, we've heard that. But, I'm going to say big butt, church. Everybody say big butt. Big butt, butt. okay, now I can die happy. I've always wanted to lead a church to say big butt, okay? (laughs) Big butt, where am I going? Your money, your toys, your house, your cars, although they themselves have no eternal significance by themselves, they can be used for eternal purposes. You can use what you have, your possessions, right now on this earth to reach people, to help people find eternal significance, and to honor God. Think about that. Yes, your stuff is meaningless, but what you have can actually be used to help other people. And I'll I'll prove it, okay? When you give your money to the church, you're investing in internal things, okay? That's just the way it is, right? But your money by itself has no eternal significance, When you have people over to your house, your house has no eternal significance by itself. But when you start investing in people in your home, when you start discipling people, when you start having people over for Bible study, you're using your house, something that is meaningless, to glorify God and to bless people. When you loan out your spare car, you're investing in people. You're investing in eternal things because only two things remain when life is over, God and people. So church, think about what God has given you, okay? It might be a lot, it might be a little. Think about where you live, what possessions you have. How can you make an eternal difference with what you have? How can you bless people with your belongings? In in church, I'm just gonna give you an example because I experienced this this week. Um, Some of you know this story and it's not funny, but I'm gonna share it anyway. So this past Tuesday night, um, our car broke down in the church parking lot. And by broke down, I mean it broke down. Those of you that saw it because the wheel fell off, right? (laughs) That is the definition of it broke it down, right? (laughs) 
And as soon as it happened, we didn't even get out of the car. I looked at Chelsea, I go, we need a ride home. Because <laughs> you're backing up and it goes clunk and you see the tire. That's the definition of broke it down, okay? It, it got broke it down. So we need a ride home. Car was definitely going to need towed. And it, it was bad. And it was dark. You always break down when it's dark outside. Or raining or snowing or both. But anyway, so we got out. We looked at it. And people from church were, it, it happened here in the church parking lot after a meeting. Um, and the lower control arm snapped in half. And if you know anything about cars, that should never happen. And if that happens on the road, that's not good either. So super blessing it happened here. But, and it was on, on our seven-year anniversary, which was kind of frustrating, to be honest. But immediately, okay, blessings started to happen, okay? Because those thoughts entered my mind, great. It's dark, it's 9.30 at night, it's our anniversary, and now our car just broke down, and we're going to need $300 to get it towed, and control arms aren't going to be cheap. So my mind starts to go. But immediately, okay, the blessings start to come in, okay? Because somebody comes up and goes, you're going to need a ride home. We needed a ride home, so we got a free ride home. Praise God, right? Using your van with your crazy expensive gas to drive out of the way and expect nothing in return. That is using what you have for eternal significance because it lifted me up. It immediately stopped my skid of bad thoughts and anger. And on that way home, I made one phone call to one friend. That's it. And I said, hey, here's the situation. My car is broke. Um, what can we do in the next few days? Would you help me load it up? And he said, I'll be home soon. Let's just do it together. I was like, okay. I thought we were going to be doing this like Thursday and the car was going to be broken in the parking lot still this morning, right? He didn't say, I'm too tired. I have to be up early um, or, or whatever. He said, I'm in. What do you need? Okay. Church, we need more people like that. We need more people that call you at 10 o'clock at night. They answer and say, what do you need? That's a side note. So he says, what do you need? And I said, well, I can't see. It's dark as crap. <laughs> it was a very dark night. Um, and I said, I need some toe straps, toe straps and a light. And he said, okay, I'll meet you there in 20 minutes. So we get to the church. We're, we're here late. We load up the car. We use toe straps. We actually ratchet strapped the control arm back together to hold the tire on while we drove it on a trailer. And I borrowed tools, everything. So here's what I'm getting at, okay? Three ratchet straps, a flashlight, and one hour of time can have eternal significance. Think about that. The simplicity of that. Three ratchet straps, one flashlight, in an hour of time. Who, who has three ratchet straps an hour and... Okay, maybe not that specifically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who has two gumballs and a stick of gum, right? Something so meaningless but can be so powerful in the right context. One, get, one van, two gallons of gas can have eternal significance for somebody because I was blessed. And let me, if, if I didn't know Jesus in that moment, I would have known Jesus that night. Okay? Think about that. Living with eternity in mind means people and God are the only things that matter. So how are you loving people? How are you honoring God? It might be three ratchet straps and a flashlight. It might be a borrowed car. It might be a borrowed socket set. It might be a screwdriver. I'm stuck on tools. I'm sorry. I, I like tools. <laughs> Men are really weird about tools, right? It might be a few dollars for gas, expecting nothing in return. It might be a place to stay for the night. It might be a kind word. It might be a, hey, do you want to go to lunch? 
could be someone let, bar, let someone borrow your mower. I'm on tools again. Golly, I need to stop thinking about tools. You guys get what I'm saying? Things don't matter in the end. People matter. Use your things to bless people. That's what I'm saying. And in doing so, you honor God. And we're going a little long, church. I'm sorry, but we need to hear this last point. And it's this. It's we need to, to glorify him in all we do. And I'm going to go get a, another prop because I like props. Da, da, da. Don't I look handsome? <laughs> Everybody's laughing. Okay. So we can go ahead and dim our lights a little bit, please. Um, so we've got this crown here. Okay? It's, it's just a crown. It's plastic. It's from Amazon, I think, right? But it's a crown. Who can tell me what a crown represents? Just shout it out, some things you think. Royalty, Royalty yes. What about wealth? Yeah. Authority? Power? Okay, we'll stop there. Right? And, but I would add glory. Because you see kings and queens wear crowns, right? So, as you know, okay, um, some of you might not know and you live under a rock, but the, the Queen of England has died, right? Has, has anybody, did anybody watch that ceremony? So quite a few people. So you got to see the crown. We were actually talking about this in our teaching team Tuesday, and I had to go back and, Nikki brought it up, and go back and watch it. But it was very interesting how they handled the crown. It was on a little pillow, and people wore gloves, and nobody was allowed to touch it, and only these certain people were allowed to touch it, and then only one person could touch it without gloves on. There was a lot of hoobla, if that's a word. I don't know. But there was a lot of significance and ceremony around the crown. So, if you watched that ceremony, the crown sat on the coffin, only certain people touched it, and it, and it traveled. And if you watched it, you probably saw a crown that looked probably almost identical to this, right? Is this bringing back memories? Because the one you saw was purple. But this is called an imperial crown. Um, and the, the crown you saw in the funeral was for King George VI coronation in 1937. So, it's the crown that the, the monarchs wear as they leave Westminster. Uh, after the coronation ceremony. So it's a ceremonial crown that represents glory, power. And, and this style of crown, this is nerd alert, it's called a closed imperial crown with arches, okay? That's what a crown nerd would say. It's a closed, a closed imperial crown with arches. And it affects the idea that nobody has authority over you except God. Okay, that's the significance when they designed this crown. Okay? You can have all the power on this earth. You have all authority on earth under God. So that is what this style crown is called. So I thought that was cool to share that with y'all. But powerful people wear crowns. And here are some people that probably had a crown. Okay? You had Attila the Hun, Nero, Genghis Khan. I mean, Herod in Scripture powerful people that had ultimate status on earth. They had absolute power under the S-U-N because not all of them lived under the S-O-N, being Jesus. Some people that wore these crowns were so powerful, they had the authority to choose who lived and who died. 
They had that much power on earth. And if they saw something they wanted, they had it. If they wanted a woman as a wife, she was his wife, instant. Money, fame, power, whatever, they had it all. So we see throughout history a crown as a status symbol saying you've made it. Nobody can tell you what to do on this earth. And I'll be honest, I mean, I'd be really surprised. Most of us in this room do not have absolute authority like a king or queen. Some of us are middle managers, okay? And let me tell you, middle management is hard because it's like you have all the power but no power, right? Or maybe you're a school teacher and you have no control over your classroom. You have no authority. That's a joke, (laughs) right? But maybe some of you in this room are bosses. You have a good amount of control. But the reality is, the tension is, we're not going to be kings. We're not going to be queens. We're not going to be president. I'm sorry to break it to you. But I think there are some things we, we have control over. And throughout your life, you're going to have these moments where you're going to have to make a choice. Because there's going to be moments in your life where you're going to be tempted to crown yourself ruler. You're going to want to put on that crown and give yourself some glory. I look ridiculous in this. I'm not going to put that on again. (laughs) Right? So let's think about this in real terms, what this looks like. Maybe for you, you just got an awesome promotion at work. Okay? That's, That's awesome. Praise God. Like, you've been working hard. Your boss calls you in. He tells you the news. You're ecstatic. You immediately start to think to yourself, about time, I'm awesome, I've worked so hard for this. Man, I bet it comes with a pay increase. I'm going to get jet skis, you know. But what you're doing in that moment is you're crowning yourself in glory because you made that situation all about you. Let's talk about this this analogy again of, of getting a promotion, okay? We'll just land here. First, it's okay to be excited about a promotion. God loves it when we work hard. You know, it's okay to call your friends, but what comes next is a chance to glorify God. Instead of telling yourself, I'm awesome, I deserve this, about time they noticed me, why can't we just take a moment, take the crown, and rather than put it on our heads, just take a moment and say, God, thank you for this promotion. If I get a pay raise, God, thank you. Boom. Rather than glorify yourself, you glorify God. You guys get what I'm saying? You choose to give God glory in certain situations. But so often, we like to get our greedy little hands on and put that crown and glorify ourselves. When that pay increase comes, whatever it is, I challenge you to say, thank you, God, for this gift. Thank you for trusting me with this raise, God. I'm going to give you 10% back for blessing me. That is how we glorify him. And and church, this is just one of many examples we try to steal this crown. We want to get our grubby little hands on it to crown ourselves, to glorify ourselves. We want to be little kings and little queens of our stuff. We want to build up our little empire. We become so consumed with what we have so self-deceptive, so focused, and oftentimes egotistical. Look what I've accumulated. We're wearing that crown. We think we're 
all that in a bag of chips sometimes. I know I do. We look at our little kingdom, what we have, and we forget everything is God's to begin with. And that's where we go wrong. So I want to draw one more illustration. Have you guys heard of illusory superiority? Okay, I didn't. <laughs> so I'm not going to hold you guys against it because I didn't know what it was. Um, but it's a con- I'll read you what Wikipedia says because Wikipedia is awesome. It's a condition of cognitive bias wherein a person overestimates their own qualities, abilities, and self-worth in relation to the same qualities and abilities of other people. So this means as we have a natural instinct to view ourselves better than others. Does that sound like America? We have a natural tendency to crown ourselves. I am better than you, right? That's America. In church, let me tell you, there's been extensive studies on this bias, and one cracked me up. It's absolutely hilarious. And if you're interested, I'll send it to you. Um, it was a group that studied a big group of men. And anytime you study a big group of men, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's just funny. And their study was specifically how men see themselves more attractive than they actually are. <laughs> Some giggles. And it's hilarious, the, the study on women was actually the opposite, which is very, very sad. So um, in this study, they, 70% of these men, okay, let's say they had 100 men, I, don't, I forget how many were in the study, 70% of the men believed they were more attractive than they actually were. And, and how they determined attractiveness, mind you, this is a silly survey, the men had to rate themselves on a scale of 1 to 10, and they lined up prison style, and a group of other people rated their attractiveness on a scale of 1 to 10. Each of them had a number. 70% of the men rated themselves way higher on the attractiveness scale than random strangers did. And I know it's a silly example, but I think there's something telling about that. I think we think way too much about ourselves. I think we are way too quick to give ourselves glory when we need to stop to stand there with that crown, with that glory, and say, you know what? This isn't mine. Thank you, God, for this. God should be getting the glory. So next time, church, I I, I challenge us. When that blessing comes, whether it's a raise, whenever something good comes your way, rather than take the crown and say, I deserve this, I've earned this about time, I challenge you to take that crown of glory and put it at the throne of Jesus. Next time we're looking over our little kingdom, our family, our stuff, our domain, rather than be all excited and say, oh, I love my little kingdom, why don't we take that crown off and give it to Jesus and say, you know what? Thank you, God. Thank you for this house. Thank you for this car. Thank you for everything, God. Thank you for trusting me with it, God. I promise to steward it well. I promise to invest what you've given me in other people, God, and to glorify you. That is what we're talking about, church. Take off that crown and put it at the feet of Jesus. Because we see something happens in the end, and it's Revelation 4. Okay? And I'll read this. The 24 elders fall down before him. Okay, it's talking about the end times. Okay, this is Jesus giving John a vision. 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, being Jesus, and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So church, as we close, okay? 
In the end times, God will get his glory. All rulers will have to lay down their crowns. Presidents, CEOs, anything done on this earth will be at the feet of Jesus someday. So why not do it now? I think for so many of us, it's, it's pride. It's control. We like having this crown. But church, we need to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the raise. Thank you for what you've blessed me with. When you realize that your things are his to begin with, your house is his, your car is his, your job is his, your money is his, your kids are his, your time is his, you start to live different. You start to live for God's glory. You're no longer living for your glory. You're living for his glory. So we're going to listen to a song this morning, church. And it's an amazing song, and I had never heard it before Tuesday, and now I have the whole thing memorized because it's an amazing song. But I want us to reflect on this idea of a crown, this crown being glory. What crown are you wearing right now? What crown, what glory, what honor are you stealing that you should be giving to God? What crown should we take off? What is keeping you from laying that crown down? I want us to take this time here in a few seconds. We're going to pray and watch this video. I want us to think about what is keeping God from getting the glory in your life. God will be glorified in the end. We read it in Revelation. Every crown will be at his feet of the throne. He deserves the glory now and forever. Church, let's pray. God, I thank you for Jesus. God, and I thank you for the word this morning. God, I pray for, for all of us, Lord, and uh, I pray that we would begin to steward, God, what you've given us. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of salvation, God. Thank you for the opportunity to spend eternity with you. God, I want to pray for everybody as we move into this time of reflection, God. We would begin to examine ourselves and to think about what we need to lay at your feet this morning, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
God, we know that 